Before we get to our text in Lamentations this morning, I want you to hear the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. And this will not be up on the screen, just listen, listen to these words. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Right, I, I read that passage to you this morning for a couple of reasons. In the first place, there have been many Christians throughout the centuries who say that as Christians, we should not lament. Okay, Lament is an old, outdated form of prayer, and maybe lament was fine for people who lived before Jesus, you know, people who didn't understand the resurrection, didn't understand all the things that God has done for us, but now because of Jesus, we have graduated into the kingdom of God, and we don't need lament anymore. We shouldn't lament because if we had enough faith in the God who saves, if we really believed in the resurrection and the new heaven and the new earth, if we really believe in God, we don't need to lament. So you don't need to lament. What you need is more faith. Probably the most famous person to make that argument was C.S. Lewis. He made it pretty extensively. And I really like C.S. Lewis. I think he's brilliant. But I think about this, he is dead wrong. Jesus laments here in Matthew chapter 26. Over in the Gospel of John, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, as a conservative Jew, Jesus wept and would have done the traditional Jewish lament at the death of his friend. So to the argument that we shouldn't lament, I say unless you think you have more faith than Jesus, then lament is not only acceptable, I think it's part of the life of faith. Okay, If I want to be more like Jesus, then my prayer and my worship should look more like Jesus. Jesus did a lot of thanksgiving. Jesus also did lament. I should too. Okay, the second reason I read this passage to you this morning is because next week is Easter Sunday. Christians all over the world next week will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, celebrating the fact that because he rose from the grave, we too get to conquer death. We also look towards our own resurrection. 
I love Easter. It is a great and wonderful holiday. Next week, we will celebrate it. Okay, but I contend you're not ready for the resurrection until you've been to the cross. Like you're not ready for Thanksgiving until you've practiced lament. Okay, you can't go to the promised land without first going through the desert. I think you can only appreciate salvation. You can only appreciate what it's like to be found after you know what it's like to be lost. Okay, but what do we typically do? We rush through anything that seems negative at all. We rush through anything that's sad or lamentful, anything that we don't feel happy about, and we rush to the thanksgiving because we're not very good at taking time to lament. And so for this morning, I asked Tommy to lead the last song that we sang, The Steadfast Love of the Lord. Okay, it's a good song. I really like that song. I like the tune. I like the message. I think it's a great song. It's also the only song in your entire hymnal that comes from the book of Lamentations. Okay, it comes out of Lamentations chapter 3, which is where we are this morning. And if you haven't done so, go ahead and turn your Bible to Lamentations chapter 3. And as you look at the third poem in the book, you notice that it does not start with a celebration of God's steadfast love. It doesn't start with the God's mercies are new every morning. It doesn't start on that high note that we just sang. Instead, it starts just a little bit harsher. Notice Lamentations 3, starting in verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He's made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. All right, this is what we talked about last week. It's about the importance of being open and honest in your prayer life. Because you can't hide how you really feel from God. Okay, we're not going to do the Adam and Eve thing where we think we're hiding in the garden. Maybe God won't know where we are, right? God knows you better than you know yourself. So take what's real to Him in prayer. Okay, the point we hit hard last week was that your relationship with God will always remain shallow if you don't bring the full range of your humanity before Him. Okay, take what's real to God. God can handle it. Right? In this third poem of Lamentations, there is no suppression. Okay, this is fully experiencing the pain and the destruction all over again. Right? And we only read the first paragraph of this, but for an entire 20 verses of Lamentations 3, our author does nothing but remember his affliction, and not only does he remember how painful his life is, but he lays the blame for all of it at the feet of God. Okay, we have 20 verses of pain. Okay, but then notice, starting in verse 21, we have an abrupt shift. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, 
to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Okay, so here's the problem that our poet experiences. The character of God that we read about in Scripture seems to contradict the 20 verses that we started with that are his experience. This is, okay, I know my Bible stories, right? I know how God is supposed to act. The author of this poem says, I've read these stories. I know that David killed Goliath. I know that the walls of Jericho came down. I know that Joseph got promoted over all of Egypt. I know, God, how you're supposed to act. So why is my experience so different than what I read about in Scripture? Okay, how come God doesn't act with my pain like I think he should? I think that's what's going on here. Okay, and starting in verse 21, I don't think this is, oh, everything is great now because the Lord is my portion. Okay, I think that this is, wow, I really hope that what I'm saying is true. Because okay, keep reading the poem. Notice where he goes from here. Because there's another problem that comes right after this one section of hope. Okay, the lamenter recognizes the need for prayer and repentance The lamenter has confidence that God will forgive him if only he could hear his prayers of repentance. But notice verse 43, what the next problem is. He says, you have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. And we're not talking about God slaying the enemies here. We're talking about God, you have slain us, your people, without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud Okay, and notice this because this image is key to the whole, the whole chapter. He says, you've covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refuse among the nations. Okay, so God, we're crying out to you in repentance and confession with confidence. We are saying our prayers. We are turning to you in faith. We cry out to you, O God. But what's the problem? The problem, Lord, is you're not listening. You've put a cloud between us so that you can't even hear the prayers we're offering. Verse 58. You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Okay, and skip down to the very end. I want you to notice the last words of this poem. He says, pay them back. Okay, again, talking to all these enemies who have done us so wrong. Pay them back what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Period. End of poem number three. Okay, so here's how the third poem runs. If you're taking notes, write this down because this is an interesting, a very interesting poem. The first 20 verses of lament number three is shaking our fist at God. This is God, I'm in pain. Uh, Not only am I in pain, Lord, but it's your fault. Right, then we have 13 verses of hope. Okay, and we hope that because of God's nature that we read about in Scripture, God, I know how you're supposed to act. I know what I've read about in the Bible. Because of your nature, O oh Lord, our pain won't endure forever. Okay, then we have a couple of verses, just a short section on repentance. 
followed with a complaint that God's not listening. Okay, God, we're praying our prayers. You should be hearing our prayers, but you have put a cloud between us so that you can't hear us. Then we end with a petition for God to destroy our enemies. That is 66 verses of heavy poetry. All right, that's lament number three. Now, notice what we did with this poem when we went to set it to music and put it into our songbook. Okay, what we did is we pulled out the three most helpful lines, okay, the ones that we liked best, the ones that are appropriate to talk about in church. We ripped them out of context. We completely ignored the fist-shaking, pain-remembering, God's not listening, and by the way, please destroy all our enemies' parts. Okay, and we made it into a really nice and really pretty song. Okay, why? Well, it would make us really uncomfortable if our next song was God, please destroy all our enemies, right? We're not likely to sing that one next Sunday morning. Okay, lament is not something we're very good at. Lament is not something we're typically comfortable with. And yet it makes a huge part of the Psalms, which was Israel's songbook, makes a big part of Scripture, uh, and very importantly, makes a big part of our lives. All right, so what do we do with this? How does this poem inform my life of worship and prayer? How can I grow in my faith through the use of laments? How do we even see faith in a song like this? All right, two points this morning. The first one is this. That is that when we lament, we declare that the Lord reigns. Okay? Again, if you're taking notes, these are the two things I really want you to write down more than anything else. The first one is the Lord reigns. All right, here's a, a story for you in honor of tax season, because just in case you weren't aware, your taxes are due. Um, I remember when I was a kid, probably I was about Luke's age, so right about seven years old, uh, and every year what my dad would do at tax time is he would pull out this big green vinyl uh, card table, set it up in the living room, and there would be mounds of paper all over it for three or four days leading up to April 15th, dad was doing our taxes, okay? Uh, part of the reason why when I became an adult, I said, I got to hire a tax guy because I didn't want to do that, Right? Uh, usually he'd be up till about 1 a.m. the night before it was due, finishing our taxes. All right, now, at seven years old, do you think I criticized how my dad did taxes? Do you think I spent a lot of time telling dad, you know what, I think you should do the deductions differently this year. You know, I think you should do it this way instead of this way. Did I do any of that? Did I ever tell him that he wasn't doing it right? No. Okay, why not? Because at seven, I knew that he knew way more about it than I could ever hope to know. Okay, I still don't understand taxes, much less did I understand them when I was seven. Okay, what I had to do is I had to trust that my dad knew what he was doing. Okay, if you've been a Christian for longer than about 20 minutes, you know that God's ways are not our ways. We know what Job knew. We know what the psalmists knew. We know what the author of Lamentations knew. We are not going to get a satisfactory satisfactory explanation for all our pain. Sometimes you will go through life and you will hurt because it's your fault. And you say, okay, I know why I hurt now because I did this stupid thing over here. That's why I hurt. Right? But there's a lot of times in life where you will hurt and go through pain, sometimes intense pain, and there's no good reason for it. 
You can't point to, okay, here's the sin and that's why I hurt. Sometimes the world is just broken. Hey, again, that's the point of Job. At the end of the book of Job, God doesn't explain everything to Job. What he does is he shows up and tells Job, remember who's God. Okay, lament is the ultimate act of faith because in lament, we recognize that God is the one who is actually in charge. I think one of the most important things that we need to note about lament in general is that it is different from complaint because it's all about the direction we're giving it. Does that make sense? Lament and complaint are very closely related, but they're different because in lament, we are actually taking what we have, we're taking our pain, and we're taking it to somebody who we believe can actually do something about it. In other words, if I'm upset with my situation at work, okay, if I didn't like what was going on in the office, and I went to my coworkers and I said, you know what, I think we have to work too hard. We don't get enough vacation, we're not paid well enough, and on top of all of that, the coffee is terrible. Okay? That's complaining. Right? If I go to my boss's office and say the exact same words and say, boss, by the way, the coffee here is terrible. Okay, no longer am I just griping. Now what I'm doing is trying to affect real change in my life. I'm taking my complaint to someone who can actually do something about it. Does that make sense? Okay, like the author of Lament number 3, when our understanding and expectations of God run into the pain we experience in life, the resulting dissonance leads us to lament. Did that last sentence make sense? Okay. Whenever we say, God, here's how you're supposed to act, but here's where my life is, and these two things don't equate, okay, the tension between those two things should lead us to lament. Because here's the thing. The only way that you can ever be disappointed in God is if you actually expected Him to do something. If you're never disappointed in God, then you probably don't have a big enough view of who God is. If God is just a heavenly version of Santa Claus, you don't need lament. But if God is king, then I have some issues I'd like to address with the Almighty. If God is king, then I lay both the lament and the thanksgiving at His feet. Why do I take all my complaints to God? Because it's an act of faith. Because I believe he's the only one that can really do anything about it. Okay, I don't want to be the fickle Christian who praises God for the good, but denies that he's in charge when it's bad. Okay, and this is part of why it makes me uncomfortable when Christians say things like, oh, thank you, God, I hit all the green lights on my way to work today. Okay, that's fine, but tomorrow if you hit all the red lights, are you also going to blame that on God? You can't have it both ways. Either God is sovereign or he's not. If you only submit the good parts of life to God, then you have a shallow faith. We need to submit our true thoughts, feelings, complaints, questions, uncertainties, and our pain, all of it, to God. Because here's the thing. I'm not concerned about your relationship with God if you're asking hard questions and shaking your fist and even being a little bit irreverent. Okay, God can handle that. He's a big boy. He's been around a really long time. But I am concerned about your relationship with God if the painful experiences in your life elicit only silence in your prayers. 
So beware the theologian or the belief system that doesn't have hard questions for God and about God speaks only words of praise. If the Lord truly reigns, if I really am a person of faith, that will lead me to lament. All right, number two. Not only does the Lord reigns, but hope is a decision. Okay, when we lament, we are deciding to hope. All right, in every wedding that I think I've ever done, uh, I always talk about 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the famous passage on love, love is patient, love is kind, and we go through all these different characteristics of love. And part of what I always say anytime I do a wedding is that love is a decision, right? And that's important because if love is just a feeling, then you'll fall into and out of love. And if we fall out of love, then, well, we should probably get divorced, right? But if love is a decision, then you can decide to keep with your marriage, even on those days you don't feel a whole lot of warm fuzzies for the person sitting across from you, right? Okay, love is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's a verb. It's an action word. It's something you decide to do. Okay, you see the same thing in your relationship with your kids, right? There's times you don't feel a lot of warm fuzzies for your kids, Okay, but you still choose to love them, right? The other day, I told one of my kids, don't hit your brother, okay? And keeping eye contact with me the whole time, he just goes, pop, right? Didn't fill me with lots of warm affection for my child, okay? But in that moment, could I still love my son? Yes. Why? Because love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. It is a choice. It is a thing you do. In the same way, in Lamentations chapter 3, hope is a decision. It's not a feeling. Hope is something that the lamenter is deciding to do. The circumstances all surrounding that middle section of Lamentations 3 don't warrant a whole lot of hopeful feelings. When life is really at its lowest, you're not going to just naturally feel hopeful. But what do we do? We choose to hope. Why are we choosing to hope? Because we know the God of Scripture. Because we know the promises. Because we know where this is ultimately going. We choose to hope. You're not responsible for all of your feelings. You're going to feel a lot of stuff. God wants you to bring all of that stuff to Him. You are responsible, though, for choosing where you put your hope. When we lament, we are choosing to put our hope in the only one who can save. We are choosing consciously, even though we don't always feel like it, that my hope is going to be in God Almighty. That's a choice I can make. All right, next week we're going to celebrate Easter. Uh, We're going to celebrate the ultimate hope that came into the world. And we're going to celebrate that because of the sacrifice, because of the death and the burial, and ultimately because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I have hope. And so I don't know what all you're going through this morning. I don't know what all of your struggles are. But whatever they are, I invite you to lay them at the feet of the cross. Lay them at the feet of God Almighty. Take whatever's going on in your life. Lay it before God today. Let Him carry your burdens. Choose to put your hope in Him. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Now, ultimately, this is a time in our service. We as a church want to be here for you. And before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace.